Section 41 of Flowers of Free Thought, Second Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Flowers of Free Thought, Second Series, by George William Foote. Section 41. Kit Marlowe and Jesus Christ december eighteen eighty eight christopher marlowe whose mighty line was celebrated by ben jonson is one of the glories of english literature he was the morning star of our drama which gives us the highest place in modern poetry he definitively made our blank verse which it only remained for shakespeare to improve with his infinite variety and although his daring passionate genius was extinguished at the early age of twenty-nine it has reverent admirers among the best and greatest critics of english literature many meaner luminaries have had their monuments while marlowe's claims have been neglected but there is now a project on foot to erect something in honour of his memory and the committee includes the names of robert browning and algernon swinburne this project evokes a howl from an anonymous christian in the columns of the pall mall gazette he protests against the grotesque indecency of such a scheme and stigmatizes marlowe as a disreputable scamp who lived a scandalous life and died a disgraceful death that marlowe was a scamp we have on the authority of those who denounced his scepticism and held him up as a frightful warning his fellow poets like chapman and drayton spoke of him with esteem an anonymous eulogist called him kind kit marlowe and edward blunt his friend and publisher said the impression of the man hath been dear unto us living an afterlife in our memory assuredly shakespeare's dead shepherd was no scamp he apparently sowed his wild oats like hundreds of other young men who were afterwards lauded by the orthodox he was fond of a glass of wine in an age when tea and coffee were unknown and english ladies drank beer for breakfast and if he perished in a sudden brawl it was at a time when everyone wore arms and swords and daggers were readily drawn in the commonest quarrels nor should it be forgotten that he belonged to a vagabond class half outlawed and denounced by the clergy that the drama was only then in its infancy that it was difficult to earn bread by writing even immortal plays and that irregularity of life was natural in a career whose penury was only diversified by haphazard successes after all is said marlowe was no man's enemy but his own it is simply preposterous to judge him by the social customs of a more fastidious and let us add a more hypocritical age our christian protester is shocked at the suggestion that the marlowe memorial should be placed in westminster abbey an edifice which i believe was originally built to the honour of jesus christ the blasphemies of voltaire he says pale into insignificance when compared with those of marlowe he deliberately accused jesus christ and his personal followers of crimes which are justly considered unmentionable in any civilized community 
and any monument which may be erected in honour of Christopher Marlowe will be a deliberate insult to Christ. Now those blasphemies are set forth in the accusation of an informer, one Richard Bame, who was hanged at Tyburn the next year for some mortal offence. Marlowe's death prevented his arrest, and it is somewhat extravagant, not to give it a harsher epithet, to write as though the accusation had been substantiated in a legal court. One of Bame's statements about Marlowe's itch for coining is, upon the face of it, absurd, and the whole document is open to the gravest suspicion. It is highly probable, however, that Marlowe, who was a notorious free thinker, was not very guarded in his private conversation. And we have no doubt that in familiar intercourse, which a mercenary or malicious eavesdropper might overhear, he indulged in what Christians regard as blasphemy. Like nine out of ten unbelievers, he very likely gave vent to pleasantries on the subject of Christian dogmas. There is nothing incredible in his having said that Moses was but a juggler, that the New Testament is filthily written, Mr. Swinburne called it canine Greek, or that all Protestants are hypocritical asses. But whether he really did say that the women of Samaria were no better than they should be, that Jesus' leaning on John's bosom at the Last Supper was a questionable action, that Mary's honour was doubtful, and Jesus an illegitimate child, cannot be decided before the day of judgment. Though, in any case, we fail to see that such things make the blasphemies of Voltaire pale into insignificance. We candidly admit, however, that a memorial to Marlowe would be incongruous in Westminster Abbey if Darwin were not buried there but after admitting the high priest of evolution, it seems paltry to shriek at the admission of other unbelievers. It will not do to blink the fact of Marlowe's atheism, as is done by the two gentlemen who took up the cudgels on his behalf in the Pall Mall Gazette. Setting aside the accusation of that precious informer, there is other evidence of Marlowe's heresy. Green reproached him for his scepticism, and every editor has remarked that his plays are heathenish in spirit. Lamb not only calls attention to the fact that Marlowe is said to have been tainted with atheistical positions, but remarks that Barabbas the Jew and Faustus the Conjurer are offsprings of a mind which at least delighted to dally with interdicted subjects. They both talk a language which a believer would have been tender of putting into the mouth of a character though but in fiction. Dice could not resist the conviction that Marlowe's impiety was confirmed and daring. His extreme free thought is also noticed by Mr. Bullen and Mr. Havelock Ellis. There is indeed no room for a rational doubt on this point. Marlowe was an atheist but a sincere Christian, like Robert Browning, is nevertheless ready to honour Marlowe's genius, quite as ready, in fact, as Algernon Swinburne, whose impiety is no less confirmed and daring than Marlowe's own. There is Freemasonry among poets, their opinions may differ, but they are all sealed of the tribe. 
and surely we may all admire genius as a natural and priceless distinction apart from all considerations of system and creed what atheist fails to reverence the greatness of milton and why should not a christian reverence the greatness of marlowe if creed stands in the way the christian may keep his dante and his milton his cowper and his wordsworth but he loses shakespeare byron and shelley he loses goethe and victor hugo nay he loses homer aeschylus sophocles pindar lucretius virgil horace and all the splendid poets of persia whose lyres have sounded under the mohammedan crescent the distinctively christian poets as the world goes are in a very decided minority and it is a piece of grotesque impudence to bang christopher marlowe because he declined to echo the conventional praises of jesus christ end of section forty one recording by alan mapstone